Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Somewhere between Stephen Cluxton herring out of goal like it was a seven-a-side match and Owen O'Gara slamming a goal in off the crossbar when there was no real need, I came to the conclusion that the injury time period on Saturday, on Sunday I should say, Murph, was even more insane than the 70 minutes that preceded. You see, there's no real need for a goalkeeper to go running up the field like that. No. And really the percentage play for O'Gara was just to probably fist it over the bar or something. Or pass it to Dean Rock, who was standing <laughs> right beside him with no one on him. He aimed it at the crossbar. It's much like, deal. much like your Jude, your fellow. Well, Kevin McMenamin, yeah, Kevin McMenamin. Kevin McMenamin aimed it at the crossbar, so he said, and snuck yeah. it just underneath. So. Kevin McMenamin had the good grace not to look like he believed what he was saying, even as he was saying it. Though, well, I mean, he was going for a point. You can, you can carefully aim a, a lob into that top corner, no problem. Kevin I mean, McMenamin is, is so skilled who, a footballer that he could hit the crossbar from 14 yards if he was aiming for it. You're so one of these people who, who reckons Ronaldinho was trying to cross the ball against David Seaman that time, instead yeah. of no. I mean, uh, it was as I predicted, Owen. The uh, the mansion burned. It was like that movie, The Patriot, gutted by flames. Uh, you know, and and yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for uh, Kerry, but I suppose uh, once again they just weren't good enough. We probably should have seen it coming, Murph, shouldn't we? Not the Dublin victory. A lot well, of people Ken saw did that see coming. It coming. Yeah. So but the style of match, the yeah. Well, I think Oshin referenced it in passing last week that he said, "Well, there is a chance that Kerry could just come up and." decide that their weaknesses are the same as Dublin's weaknesses and just, just really go for it, take the shackles off. Now, you know, we, we, we've often said that. I mean, I remember the build-up to the, the very famous puke football game back in 2003, the Ireland semi-final between Kerry and Tyrone. Kerry and Tyrone had both won their quarterfinals that year with these outrageous displays of football. Kerry beat Galway in an absolutely brilliant game. Tyrone did something similar. Uh, and everyone was saying that, this is it, you know, this is finally going to be the game that you know, the game of Gaelic football deserves. Uh, Tyrone had six brilliant football f- forwards. Kerry had about nine. Um, and everyone was just talking up this game as if it was going to be absolutely brilliant. And it turned out to be, you know, the darkest hour for mm-hmm. some people. Some people were seeing it out. some Spallans. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you can say all you like about expecting things to happen. And now everyone is talking about this final as if it's going to be an absolute classic as well. There are no guarantees um, but yeah, maybe maybe we should have seen it come. We should have been more prepared for it because, to be honest, I 
didn't really see it panning out the way it did, to be honest. It it's, was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a rest day at the Vuelta España today. I know from speaking to Nicholas Roach in the past that he doesn't enjoy rest days. He tends to just like to keep on cycling. You know, your body gets into that. It's not so much the rest day that he doesn't enjoy, but he doesn't like the following day when your body f- has forgotten what it's like to ride whatever amount of kilometres you have to do up ridiculous mountains and all the rest of it. But I'd say he might be happy enough just to take a break at this stage and have a look back at what he's achieved so far. He's in third place in the Tour of Spain. He has won a stage, one stage over the weekend. He won the red jersey, the equivalent of the yellow jersey in the Tour de France as race leader. Now, he's dropped off a little bit, but he's still in third place there within a minute of the lead. And we're going to talk to him along with Dan Martin, his cousin who's had a memorable tour for a very different reason, having crashed out on Friday. He actually finished that stage, I should say, but had to pull out on Saturday morning. In his Irish Times column, he was writing about that. He said, while my balance was fine after the race, when I tried, it was a pretty bad crash, as he describes also. We'll talk to him about that. But he says, while my balance was fine, when I tried standing on one leg the next morning, I pretty much fell over. So I confirmed I had a bit of concussion. The race was the furthest thing from my mind at that point. During the day, I noticed I couldn't even look at my cell phone. The light from the screen was really hurting my head to look at it. So it's fortunate for all concerned, I think, that he elected not to continue in that state. It sounds pretty pretty ropey, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, you know, concussion is never nice, but the way the crash was described, uh, it sounded like it was a particularly heavy fall. So, yeah, so you'd safe to say they're having rather contrasting fortunes, all right? Leinster start their season, the Rabbit Pro 12 in Clenethley this Friday night. You have to start somewhere, I suppose, Ken. You might as well start in lovely Clenethley. Well, it's a lovely part of the world, South Wales. They're new... Valley's just uh, not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> it's very close to some nice areas, is basically what you're saying about South Wales. There, I think uh, I've been to South Wales. That's as diplomatic as you can put it. Lencer's new head coach, Matt O'Connor, is going to be on with us in just a little while. Anthony Moyes and Ushin McConville are here now, though. Uh, Ushin, or Anthony, I might start with you. The surprising thing, maybe, about the classic that we saw on Sunday is that we're surprised by it at all. This was all set up to turn out how it turned out, was it not? Yeah, maybe it is. I don't think it's a surprise um, to myself personally because I thought it would be a kind of a bit of a classic. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> but um, I knew Kerry had to kind of come out and start really well. Um, I think they just kind of threw really everything at Dublin that they could do. You know, like, I mean, they were at their pin of their collar. They were just pulling stuff out of the bag. The Gooch played unbelievable. Like, I mean, if, if anyone wants to kind of watch how you should play as a centre-half forward or even just as a forward, he was just phenomenal. And he was even phenomenal in the sense of he was winning dirty ball, like he was going down, winning hard ball breaks. You know, he was he was running around the pitch, like took Jerry Brennan to the cleaners. And it's something that we picked out last week where we said that Kerry would have to focus really on Dublin's weaknesses. Um, he, unfortunately, you know, being exposed at six... Uh, was a weakness and as it turns out it was you know but um, an absolutely unbelievable game you know end to end massive pace in it you know it's just saying that I watched the, I had to, I had to watch it so I was RTE actually stopped doing kind of replays of, of, of scores because Cluxton literally had the ball out and gone before the replay was even kind of you know started to show and so they actually just stopped doing it because uh, just the pace of it was phenomenal and it was uh it was it was a, it was an amazing spectacle and great entertainment. Were Kerry uh, clearly this was a good game for the sport, and uh, I guess the summer maybe needed something like this, O'Shea. But I I don't know if either team were thinking along those lines. Say Kerry, for example, was it really just the pra- pragmatic approach? Evan Fitzmaurice said afterwards, "Look, we looked at what they had. We knew they were open at the back. We knew we could score goals, so we had to go out and do that." As opposed to thinking, you know, we're doing this for the tradition of Kerry football. 
No, I don't think anybody was doing it for the for the sake of football. I think both teams were or had a, a huge desire to win the game, and that was very evident very, very early on. Uh, you know, the Dubs deserve unbelievable credit for coming through that game because Kerry had them in absolute nuts at times. I mean, uh, defensively, Dublin really struggled for the first 25 minutes, so much so that even Stephen Cluxon looked rattled. You know, I mean, his kickouts, you know, weren't going to where it needed to be going. Um, even, you know... Uh, you know, marshalling his defence and that, he just seemed incapable of doing that. And for the dubs to go ahead and turn that around, I just thought it was was unbelievable. I think Paul Mannion's goal was absolutely crucial. At that stage, Kerry looked as if they could, you know, get a serious run on Dublin and maybe be six, seven points up at half time. And if they had of, then possibly they may have held on. But you don't know this Dublin team. <clears throat> I don't think Kerry ran out of steam. I don't think the players that uh, that we talked about last week, Tomas O'Shea, Mark O'Shea, the Gooch, you know, those boys who are, I suppose, getting on a little bit. I don't think any of those run out of steam. I just think that Dublin had you know, huge, uh, a huge influence in what they could bring off the bench. What they could bring off the bench was unbelievable. And it's an instant impact with them. Uh, Dean Rock was on the field, what, literally a minute, uh, gets the ball, turns over his left shoulder and kicks the ball over the bar. You know, phenomenal thing to do. Uh, Kevin McManaman's goal, I mean, I still think he went for a point. And I think he sort of more or less hinted at that. Well, after, that, yeah, after the, the this game. is a real Gaelic footballer's line. You might have to explain this to everybody. This, well, I, I went for the crossbar, which yeah. doesn't seem to well, be, you, there doesn't seem to be great logic to that. Yeah, but. you aim for the crossbar at under 12 level when yeah. the goalie's by 5 <laughs> 3. You know, you don't do it and grow back in the last bit of a lot of semi-final. You'd be a little bit worried if you aim for the crossbar and you were that accurate and you hit the crossbar <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it came back out. Really back going, why didn't you put it 60 metres over the crossbar? But, uh, you know, if he if he did actually mean it, which I don't think he did, uh, that's an absolutely audacious thing to do at that stage in the game when a point was everybody's crying out for a point. Is it possible he wasn't even one hundred percent sure himself whether he wanted to go for a goal or not? You know, he just sort he of kicked it. Confident going, uh, but 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 he wasn't. But running, also, he wasn't yeah. necessarily taking the point either. He was he wasn't one hundred percent sure what he was doing, but he was thinking, "I'll get it over the goalkeeper at least." I think he expected somebody to. You know, one of the carry yeah. defenders to make his decision for him, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't happen. You know, they both they actually did well. You know, they they they, they retreated and retreated and retreated, and then just at the last second, they seemed to you know uh, try and get in on, try and get a block in. But uh, as I say, he he didn't mean it. But uh, unbelievable. Uh, Passage of play. Uh, Tomas O'Shea was out making a couple of runs down the field and he literally just couldn't get back at that stage. And, and uh, Dale McConnelly was starting to get in the game. The game was really broken up. And as I say, the Dubs bench was, was phenomenal. Yeah. Go on, Anthony. Yeah. No, if, if you look at the actual just what happened before it, you know, the two boys in O'Shea, I think, mm. and Mara, I think, went for the ball in midfield and actually both clattered into each other. And the ball broke loose. And McManamum had. It was a real gamble because it was one of those where he let his man go for the break. Um, now, if the Kerry man had got it, he would have been off and up the field and presumably Kerry could have got a score. But he actually held back. Like, he kind of... He, was a he bit, cheated, I think. It was, it was a bit of hatchet, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. yeah, but Macaulay did unbelievably well. Like every well. good forward should. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, because, like, I mean, as a defender, you're saying, well, will I stay with him or will I go and take the chance? And it's one of those things that might fall for you. And as it happens, Macaulay just managed to get the flick onto him. But the, the bench, as, as Oshin says, was, was like Dean Rock came on, I think, kicked two, two out of three, made, made an impact. 
And something that we were saying last week where we felt that, okay, Kerry might have a plan B, as in Donaghy coming on, that actually probably was the move that shouldn't have been made yeah, for Kerry. Big destabilizing, destabilizing yeah. factor in the whole game in a lot of ways. I think so because it took. Like I think Darren O'Sullivan, I think went off for him. Um, no, Darren but, O'Sullivan stayed on. But if, if who would have? It was actually Galvin. I think they kid that. Uh, Galvin came. Well, Galvin certainly was substituted very early. Galvin come off. Yeah, and I think to be honest that 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 seemed like a a strange decision at the time because I actually thought he had kicked two points yeah. early in the second half, and he died on one run back. And it was kind of directly in front of the the manager. Mm. And in a situation like that, if you do, if you're going to die in a run, try and do it as far away from the manager as yeah. possible. But he 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 didn't manage to make it back for one run. And thirty seconds later, he was off the field. And I kind of thought maybe it was a bit of a rash decision, given how well he was playing in the second half up until then. Yeah, he just kicked two points. I thought you know he was coming into the game. The game was getting a little bit broken up in in, in places. The the Dublin halfback line were cleaned out all day. Uh, Keanu Sullivan did well when he went back in on, on the Gucci, tightened it up a little bit. It's crazy stuff from Dublin, I thought, in the first half. They didn't man-mark Gucci. Well, after Brennan went off, um, McCarthy picked him up, but he didn't pick him up all the time. He was still intent on any opportunity he got to go forward. So when Gucci went into the, into the full forward line, Cooper picked him. Uh, Johnny Cooper picked him mm. up. I thought it was absolute madness that they hadn't man marked him. I mean, the, the the trouble he was giving them was was unbelievable. Jack McCaffrey is an absolutely brilliant player going forward. He he was caught out defensively. You know, he's only nineteen, um, but defensively he was big time caught out. And as I said, Jared Brennan, Keanu Sullivan went in there and he, he 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 you know he solidified the whole thing you know defensively, and he was cute as well. He played sort of slightly off Cooper at times and, and played in front of his full back line, which. Which, when Declan O'Sullivan, Darren O'Sullivan, even early in the second half, when they were going well, they were in real, they were in real trouble, you know. Yeah, the uh, just generally speaking, I don't know. If, well, I was about to say we'd like to see a game like this every week. Maybe they would start becoming normal, and then we wouldn't. It wouldn't be an outstanding game then when you, when something like this happens. But certainly, you'd like to see a few of these a season, maybe. But do you need a certain set of circumstances? If most teams had tried what Kerry tried against Dublin, would they fall flat in their face and get hammered? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> like, I mean, Kerry, you know, and it's funny, you know, and we know we'll obviously talk about the, the final, but Kerry could do it because of the forward line that they have. You know, like, I mean, they, they, they knew that with the forward line, with the pace and with the ability that they have, that they can, they can go at them. Like, I mean, if you only have really two top-class forwards out of your six, um, you're kind of saying, right, maybe we'll contain Dublin a little bit, we'll play a bit more defensive. But Kerry don't. Like, I mean, Kerry have arguably the best forward line in the country, like I mean, the Dublin forward line didn't really click, you know. And with with O'Connor possibly gone for Mayo, you'd probably still say that Kerry forward line, like I mean, with the O'Sullivan's, with with Cooper, how he's playing, like I mean, and even Dunne Walsh had a very very good yeah, game, yeah. you know, a very cute game. And James James O'Donnell, who's you know, yeah. this was his breakout absolute, day. He was, it was absolutely it was a bit like Alan, the way Alan Freeman played with Mayo. He just sort of he didn't come out of nowhere, but he he really stepped up, you know, yeah. on the big stage the other day. But like you can pick whole loads of holes in Dublin's performance. Mm. You know, which is which, f- for me, seems mad when you consider the one by seven points. Okay, it sort of flattered them a little bit, but and still kicked three, whatever. Three, Do Dublin still have the fatal flaw that you've been talking about all summer? Their forwards yeah, well, that, choosing the, the wrong that option. Ha- that, that hasn't changed, but to be able to win games and still have that flaw, you know, is scary for the rest of the country. And I said it a couple of years ago when whenever they won the All Ireland, I thought they may be able to dominate. I think it's just that 
it was just that hunger thing really with them last year. They just weren't able to get to the pitch of it, you know, again. They weren't that far away in last year's all there in semi final. A few decisions here and there. They could have been in the final and it could have been a different story completely. But Can you win in All Ireland with flaws? I think you can. I yeah. think when you're when you're when you're that good and you have you know, we talked about even about Bernard Brogan. I mean Bernard Brogan had a decent game. Okay, he kicked a couple of wides and it was a couple of Things that he that he didn't do correctly, and he probably took the wrong option at times. But he still kicked six points, like, and mm. he, you know, he still was showing and showing for the ball. And it's a great sign of, to be honest, it's a great sign of a forward. Whenever he kicked a few into the keeper's hands, and he got one out on the in under the hugging stand and kicked it over the bar with his left foot, it was an absolutely brilliant mm. score. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, like flaws are there, but the thing about it is, is have you got the ability to change things that then can go? Okay, we'll just take that flaw. Like I mean. Gavin would have known going in, like it was no secret, that, that Jer Brennan and the pace and also the fact that McCaffrey and McCarthy go up the field so much he might be slightly exposed. So I was surprised he left it till kind of half time to shore it up because it was it was screaming out for Keno Sullivan to go back in. But if you look at what happened with Kilkenny, Kilkenny wasn't going well at all. So next thing he just said, Okay, Paddy Andrews wasn't going particularly well, but he brought Paddy Andrews out. Now Paddy Andrews has that ability to get away from his man, but if you watch him he was he was kind of running lateral across the pitch. But he was always looking for the little inside ball into the full forward line. And he actually played really well when he came out to 11. Like he caused an awful lot of problems for Kerry because he was pinpointing little passes. Yeah, I was surprised that he was left on. But actually, from when Kilkenny was taken off, Andrews did actually have a big impact on the game and kicked one of those five points in a row that got Dublin back into the, back into the game. But I think Owen's question as well about, uh, about why don't we see this every week I mean, I, I, think it is, I think it is very interesting that this was actually the pragmatic thing to do from Kerry's point of view, and it's, it doesn't change anything. You know, people are kind of saying that, oh, you know, is this, this, is this the end of the blanket defence, you know, mm-hmm. after what we saw on Sunday? I mean, it's really not. It's, managers are going to continue to do the pragmatic thing for their team, and it, if you don't, like, if you, if, you, if you go out against Dublin and try and take them on six on six and you're Monaghan or Fermanagh or Galway or one of these teams... It's just bad management, and it's 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 not going to change. So the question so. is probably how do you produce forwards like Kerry produce? Because yeah, <laughs> if you can produce that, you can then play that. Yeah, way. I have them born in Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> just like, send, I mean, send them around. If, if you do, if you look back to their Cavan game, you know we spoke about this. I think he was playing a bit of rope a dope. To be yeah. fair, like I mean, he tried to play this defensive thing. But like I mean, I knew people were saying, well, he might come out and play defensive. I said, if he plays defensive, I literally I, I feared for Kerry because and we spoke about it last time, it's not their natural game. You know, their natural game is one pass there, O'Sullivan got under the, remember he turned, hit a crossfield ball with his left hand, literally just look up, put it over the far side, O'Donoghue caught it behind O'Brien, stuck it over the bar, one touch. Like, I mean, it was just fantastic to watch. It's funny, uh, Eamon Fitzmaurice after the match said, can you take pride in the performance? And he said, yeah, of course, but, you know, from where we're from, we didn't win the All-Ireland, therefore, you know, how that would be received down in Kerry now. We're not living in Kerry, but the sense I get certainly from everywhere outside is that Dublin get a lot of praise for getting to an All-Ireland final. But Kerry, if anything, their football, their reputation has been enhanced by defeat this time around. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. And I think I listened to Weezy Fogarty on the radio afterwards, and he's as traditional a Kerry man, I think, as you, as you get. And he sounded 
very upbeat about what had gone on. I think he was fearful beforehand because they were training behind t- closed doors and they thought they were going to come up with this blanket defence, which would not be acceptable in, in any way, shape or form down there, especially by the older folk. But uh, you, you got to give them credit. They went at it and they just come up short purely and simply because they didn't have anything coming off the bench. And I was screaming for Donaghy to go in full forward for the last 20 minutes and put the ball into him, but... You know, it's it's those sort of calls that sort of you live and die by. Uh, Kerry were actually going okay at that stage. Um, in hindsight, you know, it's mm-hmm. easy saying that he probably should have went into the middle of the field. I don't think when Maher came on, he, he brought them, you know, that much in the middle of the field. He didn't look, he didn't really look fit to me, but, uh, oh, sorry, Moran, when Moran came into the middle of the field, he didn't really look that fit. Probably could have put uh, put Donaghy into the middle of the field. He may have made a, made a difference, but the ball that was going into him was just hoof ball. It was not. It wasn't even cross field ball. Uh, Anthony mentioned about uh, the first half. O'Donoghue and Gooch got two balls just over the top, and they're not brilliant in the air or anything like that. But the way they were just flated into them, and uh, it was it was a pass, but it was a hay ball, and it just looked as if it was hoofed in, but it wasn't. It was it was very there was great direction on it. Two they got two scores off that and. I think when when Donnie came on, I thought that they could have got a a bit more uh, a bit more joy doing that. But Rory O'Carroll had his number from yeah. come on. To well, the there always seems to, there always seems to be temptation when Donnie's playing just for Kerry lads. Suddenly they stop passing the ball yeah. correctly, and and this isn't always the case. But there is a temptation yeah. just to whack it up in the air and Donnie go win. I, I do want to move on though because James Horn was at the game. Anthony, I'm sure he he well, maybe maybe he'll look at that forward display by Dublin and worry that if they do fully click that they could do a serious amount of damage but do you think overall he'd be looking at that and thinking well there's nothing there that I haven't already seen I knew they were fast I knew they could score goals I knew they were leaky in defence and now I'm sure of that yeah potentially you know he'll he'll probably look at it and say okay what can Gavin do to shore it up a bit like I mean I think O'Sullivan will start there they'll probably go with something along the lines of Bastic and, and, and Macaulay see Gavin is now in the situation where he's now saying, "Okay, well, I can actually tactically prepare myself a bit for for Mayo." You know, whereas I always felt like this Dublin were kind of going in there this weekend to be shot down. You know, there wasn't a whole lot he could do because he didn't really know which way Kerry would play it. Like, there's no doubt about it that the midfield of, of pairing of the of, of the country are the two O'Shea lads. So, um, you know, Bastic came on. Didn't cover himself in Ari Glory. He'll work hard, but he's not. He's not the O'Shea lads. Like I mean, they can they can drive forward. They can do the donkey work, but they can also kick scores. So they're a driving force from there. The ha- the two half back lines are similar, really, for both teams. Um, and then it's going to be down to kind of those two full back lines, as we said before, and the two full forward lines. Now, a massive, massive loss, even more so now when we think of it, is O'Connor gone for for Mayo. Like a massive loss. And when you when you set up two both of the of, of the forwards against each other, you'd have to think Dublin have the edge there. You put up both defences against each other, they're probably you know break even. And then Mayo, I would feel, have the midfield again. An awful a big thing is going to be the kickouts, um, because at the end of the day, if you watch the game back, the first six kickouts that Dublin had to start that second half, they didn't win one mm-hmm. from Cluxton. Literally, it was just pure Kerry pressure. Now, Kerry probably should have got a bit more that time. But as soon as they lifted the siege on one kick out, 
Kerry, I think Dublin won the next six or seven. And that was the time when they got the five points in a row, yeah. Like, literally, the Kerry man couldn't get. So, kick outs are now, and as you said, McConville was getting so, or not McConville, no, <laughs> you're always getting a little bit upset. But Cluxton <laughs> was just, you could see his head was gone, you know, even his rash decision to pull the Walsh down for the penalty, you know, he was definitely rattled, and Kerry did a massive amount of work on it. And I remember we were saying last week about this little kick out that they do straight down the middle. Kerry turned that over three or four yeah. times, you know. So, will he learn a whole lot new? He probably won't, own, you know, to be fair. But it will give him a, a lot of confidence. Will it? Going. Yeah, would you think so? Yeah, I mean, the word as well is that, that Killian O'Connor is going I to be back, he, I think you know. Killian O'Connor will play. I think he, he's, uh, he's crucial to them, especially from a free kick point of view. You know, I'm not talking about carrying him just for free kicks, but from a free free kick point of view, he's absolutely crucial because I think uh, may have a lot of pace up front. If a lot of pace coming from the half back line, I think they'll get plenty of free kicks uh, off that Dublin defence. I think uh, Dublin have to make a couple of changes, in particular at centre half back. Um, Joe Brennan has done well at times for Dublin when he when he sat off the centre half forward and the centre half forward has gone and hunted breaks and different things he got there and he's he's protected his his full back lane well at times but he can't go man to man. And I think uh I think Mayo changed it up a little bit. I think they won't play Higgins at at, uh, at eleven. I think that hasn't really worked for them. I think he'll go back into the defence and maybe tighten up that defence a little bit more. Um he may man mark Bernard Brogan or something like that but uh, it's very, very difficult uh, game to call because both teams are so alike, they're so athletic and, and again, like Anthony says, the may all have the edge in the middle of the field, which could be absolutely crucial if they put enough pressure on Cluxon's kicker. So with that but, Dublin team, sorry, I'm just wondering if, if you're taking Jared Brennan out of it, are you finishing with how they started the second half or starting with how they started the second yeah. half with Keno Sullivan at centre half back and Bastic in I midfield I think you probably have to yeah, I think you have to go that way because I think one thing with Bastic is you know he'll he'll make a nuisance of himself he'll walk hard you know he'll he'll try and get in and try and break the ball down or, or you know get his own clean catch but Keno Sullivan doesn't give you that in the middle of the field he's a he's a brilliant absolutely brilliant athlete and he'll get up and down the field but I don't think he really even challenged for a ball on, on Sunday in the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that looking ahead to the final, you do have two teams whose major weakness is their full back line. And I think the what we didn't see with Dublin on the Kerry forward line this week was a player going on a player, the matchups that we keep talking about. I think at one stage, actually, the first half, it was nearly 1-15 to on both teams Play, and, and they were marking each other effectively, you know, and you just, it's, it's amazing that that, would, that 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 would happen anymore. But it's this time around, or for the final, I think you will see Mayo defenders going very much, they'll have their man in man. the Dublin forward yeah. line, and that's who they're going to take. Yeah. And I think that the big question really is, you know, do you see Keith Higgins going back on Bernard Brogan? Is Bernard Brogan the danger man from, from Dublin's point of view? Do you put your best man marker on him? Uh, Jerk Hafferke, I mean, Jerk Hafferke struggled. I actually watched back Mayo Tyrone this week and Hafferke struggled so badly Big time. in the first, particularly the first half. I actually couldn't believe it because I think the, the way the game went, he was maybe a little protected because I was at the game. But gee, when you watch it back, he was getting beaten all ends up. So what do you do with Hafferke? Who does he who does he pick up? I mean, I think that that's kind of the really the really interesting thing. Yeah, and it's a worry for me. You know, we pointed it out that that like Hafferke was beaten, I think, for nearly every yeah. ball. Like I mean, bar one or two that actually hit off the Tyrone man's chest. And he kind of caught it behind. Um, 
And like really with the, with the pace that he has beside him, he shouldn't be fearful of being out in front. You know, yeah. like I mean, he should be out in front. You know, because he, he he should say to himself, when anything that goes in behind, of two lightning cornerbacks who should hopefully help me out here. That's you know, I I'm like I mean I've been saying Mayo all year, but <laughs> like after Sunday, I'm kind of going. Really, I can't see. You know, Mannion didn't have a good game on on Sunday. You know, he he, he struggled a little bit. Um, he'll be mad keen to get back going. And and just the options that Dublin have now forward wise is is quite scary. And I think the Mayo. I think you're right. I think Mayo will definitely, and they learn from last year's All Ireland final, which when they kind of they didn't get the matchups right at in all. The final in the final first five ten minutes, cost them. absolutely. Yeah. Like I mean, Murphy on. I think he was on. Um, can't remember. On Kevin Keane. Yeah, Kevin Keane. Yeah. Like that was. That's straight away. You're just saying, okay, that that's wrong, and as it proved out to be, it was wrong. And mm. um, so this year, you have to say to yourself, okay, who are we going to? Where are we going to get our matchups correct? And if that means moving Kafferke around a little bit, well, so be it. Oshin, are we likely to have a similar shootout? Do you think in the final? I, th- I think so. I'm hoping. I'm hoping right. we are. Um, it's brilliant that both full back lanes are, are sort of leaky. <laughs> I love. I love. Is, I love going to watch games yes. when the full back lanes are leaky. Um, but because I think we will have a we live. I think we'll have a classic uh, without building it up too much. You know, went into this weekend's game. I wasn't sure what to really expect because I wasn't sure what to expect from Kerry. Well, I was glad they come up and had a real go at it, even though they were beat. But um, somebody said that they put their boots on. But uh, as far as Mayo, as far as Mayo is concerned, uh, this is the be all and end all. I think they'll have the edge hunger wise. <laughs> Sixty years of heart, yeah, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. You're not but, making another prediction. <laughs> no, not this, not this early. But uh, you know, I think it'll be a classic game. I think both teams have serious pace, and I think. Uh, Unlike Kerry, I think um, May will be able to stick the pace. I think they have a bench as well. You yeah, know, I, I think that was the that in ways is the is the most in, intriguing and exciting thing about this is that when it comes down to the last ten minutes, it's not going to slow up. Like yeah, it's actually no. it's going to speed up effectively because again, you you watch me to run again, like. In the last five minutes, Mayo just kept going. It was as if they were like, right, we've got five minutes to go. We're going to totally empty the tank. And it was just incredible to see how fit they are. And the dub's the exact same. Obviously, I think it was 2-8 they scored in the last 25 minutes. Um, you know, they're not going to give up, you know. Uh, and I think that this that, that element, that if, if it's a game with 10 minutes to go, we could be treated to just yeah, a total... Both teams are absolutely dancing. relentless on their yeah, conditioning. Fest, con- yeah. Their conditioning, and as I say, that... that Bit of stuff they have to bring off the bench. Uh, Dean Rock could, could start, could start the final as well. He's playing too well off the bench, though. It's the Kevin McMenamin problem where he, there's a definite impact there. He's going to score two points, so we might as well spare yeah, him from the bench. I, I'd, I'd, I'd keep him in reserve. You know, he's he's a, he's a young enough guy, and I'd keep him in reserve just for that fact. You know, but it is like I mean, one thing we worried about last week was, you know, as I said, if Dublin were behind by two, two, three points with ten minutes to go, they'd believe in their own condition and as it turned out and as you rightly say Murph it wasn't that Kerry probably fell off you know as regards fitness wise yeah. you know it wasn't really necessarily that um, because if you look at it Tomas O'Shea sometimes I don't know how they sometimes pick these man the matches because Tomas O'Shea had an unbelievable game yeah. absolutely unbelievable game and Connolly was on Tomas O'Shea but it was kind of like you get the ball I'll get the ball type <laughs> thing but it's going to be it'll just come down to I think it could be it could be an absolute goal fest as well all right, hopefully we'll leave that there for the time being. Anthony Moyles, Ocean McConville, thank you. 
Challenge, and that's the question that's going to be asked, answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football, available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. I think we're already even a bit more excited about the All-Ireland Final than we previously were. One thing we touched on, Murph, that Simon is obsessed with, so we'll talk a little bit more about it, is the conditioning yeah. of the two teams heading into the All-Ireland Final. And it is. It's, um, as I was just saying there, uh, the way Mayo powered into the last 10 minutes, uh, I, just, I just think it's going to be such a hugely physical game, like a ridiculously physical game, but also the, the pace that these two teams have. I think we've seen big teams before and, you know, two huge big teams kind of crashing into each other but the pace that these guys play the game at and it's going it's going to be such a minefield between the two 45s basically you're going to have well nine players apiece 18 players uh thundering around at unbelievably high speed uh Aidan O'Shea weighing about three to four stone uh more than everyone else and after that, then, really, it's just kind of a turkey shoot. But it, it in will. In a positive be, way, right? Yeah, in a positive way. Can yes. that possibly be true? I mean, what's, what's Aidan O'Shea's actual... Oh, well, I'm speculating wildly here, but I would say that he's... Feel free. He's 16 and a half stone, uh, 16 not stone. Not a chance. Not a he's chance. I, 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 no, I'm terrible, I'm terrible at this, yeah. this sort of guessing game. I once thought Gordon Darcy was 12 stone. Yeah, he's probably a bit more than that, mate. If he's playing international rugby, I'd say he's probably a bit more. I mean, Garrett Bale, what way would you say he is? I mean, he looks like an absolute monster on the field. So Yeah. Garrett Bale, I would say, is about 13 and a half stone. 13 and a half, nowhere near. Um, He's he's about 70, 75, 74, 75 kilos, which you don't understand because you don't speak that (laughs) language. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at you blankly there. It's more like uh, 12 stone. Gareth Bale is 12 stone. Yeah, there's not a pick of fat in the lad. Are you sure about this, Ken? Yeah. No, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. We might continue this guessing game off air, though. Yeah, okay. maybe, maybe that's probably the better. Than, and we'll talk hurling on Thursday. Obviously, massive build-up to the All-Ireland Final at that stage. Time now for a bit of this. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Very, very special Pierce Brosnan and we're going to shout out this week on. Uh, so listen, it's actually, it's actually not really someone, I'm not giving out the shout outs, it's actually me that's giving out the shout I'm not reading out the shout outs, it's me doing the shouting. You understand the <laughs> Not really, but just start doing it and then I'll get cop on as we go. Listen, listen up all you Oz-based emigrants, because we're endeavouring to secure the most P-Bezel hunters in any one place in history this Friday for the upcoming Ireland-Sweden World Cup qualifier game. You may have seen the story of one Irishman in Australia, David Feeney, who has set up a television channel to show Ireland-Sweden in different venues around Australia. So he's gone and done it himself. Yeah, I've seen this, yeah. Uh, Satanta have stopped showing the Ireland games, so he's taken it on, uh, on himself to do this. So he contacted us with a proposition that in these venues around Australia, the people gathered around their televisions compete to become known as the greatest centre of Pierce Brosnan emigrant shout-out activity uh. that we've ever seen. So the game kicks off at 4.45am, that's Australian Eastern Standard Time, on Saturday morning, and the idea is for everyone to bring hashtag P-Bezo signs and to try and get group shots or even a shot of the entire venue and then tweet said photographs to at second captains. The largest collection of P-Bezos would then, by all counts, set the new world record for the most P-Bezos in one place at one time. 
can I say the phrase P-Bezzle anymore in this slot? Who knows? Uh, Dave informs you that he's invited Ron Keating to the night in Sydney. Star so that's, power. That's something for us all to look for. Sydney is already, I would think, in pole position here. Uh, so the venues in question are in Sydney, Scruffy Murphy's, which is a famous Irish bar in the city. I've Hopefully been. there's only, only the one. Yeah, I've, I've been there, man. Uh, of course you have. And uh, the Star Casino, which is a 24-hour sports bar in Sydney. So in Melbourne... Uh, the venue is the Celtic Club, or the Celtic Club, I'm not entirely sure, which is a long-running Irish club in Melbourne, in the CBD there. Uh, in Brisbane, it's the Treasury Casino. In Darwin, it's the Sky City Casino. Most of these are casinos because it's, you know, 4.45am. In Adelaide, it's the Adelaide Casino. Uh, and in Cairns and Canberra and Perth, he's currently negotiating uh with some uh, uh, establishments there so fingers crossed we can, he can get them over the line and we will tweet the venues if he does manage to get them over the line so uh, the Irish Community Paper in Australia the Irish Echo is sponsoring this entire venture so this is let's brilliant try, yeah, this is let's, absolutely let's try and get out there yeah. and make this happen because you know I don't want to over egg it here you know I don't want to over egg the salad but I mean you know this P-Bezzle thing is really it's huge it's a worldwide phenomenon now and uh, I just I just like the idea of us being express, us being able to express that uh, via the medium of, of Twitter and Facebook over the coming days. Really reminds me of Mary Robinson, doesn't it? Murph. Mm. Why? Why do I remind you of Mary Robinson? Just your your concern for all the Irish people of the planet. Yeah, well, the I mean, you're reaching out to them. I'm sorry. That's just that's just the kind of guy I am. You know, yeah. I'm a give, hugely giving person. You know. Yeah, you are. Contrasting fortunes for the two Irish riders of the Tour of Spain. Dan Martin had a parting shot at the UCI over safety issues. He said, stunned at the UCI commissaire's lack of compassion, should concentrate more on rider safety and less on UCI fundraising. It's much better news for Dan's cousin, Nicholas Roach, though. He took the race leader's jersey on Saturday, having previously won a stage earlier in the race. He's lost that lead, but still looking good in third place as he enjoys a rest day today. Delighted to be joined by both men now. Nicholas, can I talk to you first of all? Has this rest day come at a good time for you? Uh, yeah, even though every year I admit that rest days are not my, my favourite, you know, I always have a pretty hard time after rest days. Um, but, um, and the rest day is never a really rest day. Like, I'm already in the car now, obviously, the, the time to course for tomorrow. So uh, there's a lot of things going on for, for rest days, not just about lying in bed. <laughs> Uh, this this time, given what, how you've done so far, the efforts that you've put in to uh, to take the leader's jersey, you're still in third place. Is it nice just to have that day to to just just relax and think about what you've done so far and what you need to do? Well, um, I, I would have loved to, but uh, like I said, uh, um, you know, I'm still so focused into what I can still do over the next two weeks. Yeah, that uh, I think I'm going to take that moment uh, when I get in Madrid, and, and for sure then look back and say, wow, this is what I've done and this is what I haven't done. Uh, at the moment, you know, I'm still into it and I still believe I can do some some good things in the next two weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I still have that kind of uh, nervous and uh, concentrated attitude and I, I haven't really thought back yet. That yeah, sounds like a good way to be, I think, Nicholas. It was a tough enough stage yesterday, well, a very tough stage, um, judging by how you described it in your independent column today. But you, you did well to stick in there. How tough was it out there? Well, yesterday was, uh, well, obviously it was one of the hardest stages that it was, so I'm not going to say it was easy at all. But uh, I think yesterday I, I rode uh, cleverly. You know, maybe some other years I would have tried to really hang on with him um, and, you know, uh, give, give it all and then eventually just completely blow. As there, I just kind of try and took my pace and I, I knew I could lose 
uh, a couple of seconds and I, you know, didn't panic and I was just trying to keep them inside as much as possible and eventually, uh, some stage I was actually coming back onto them. Um, so yesterday I think it was more a, a mental effort uh, that, that made me with them. Obviously the physical uh, uh, effort was, uh, was intense, but I think uh, was, if my head would have let go, it would have been a disaster. And it was just that kind of uh, willpower that I said, no, I'm not giving up this decision, I'm sticking with them. Is that something that, uh, I get the sense, Nicholas, that's something that you've been really on top of during this tour, that we know about the physical attributes you need to succeed in a race like you're racing at the moment, but it seems like mentally you've been making the right decisions, you've taken the risks when you've needed to take them to win a stage and to get to the to the front and to lead the race, but you're, you're knowing when, you're, you're essentially you're making the right decisions, you're keeping a cool head. Yeah, I, I think, you know... Um uh, I agree that over the past I've always made uh, a few mistakes of, uh, you know, overexcitement or I don't know, but it, it, it's true that I usually, I rarely make mistakes, but in the last kilometers or whatever, I always ended up making one that cost me the victory and get me second or third. Um, this time around, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I've uh, maybe finally matured a bit and having the, 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 the team around me pushing me and giving me the, the good advice has kind of helped me kind of settle down a bit and... Uh, uh, think a bit more, maybe. Yeah. Well, Nick, stick with us because we're also joined by Dan Martin. I'm delighted to say, Dan, unfortunately for you, you're out of the race a few days at this stage after a really bad crash on Friday. Firstly, most importantly, how's the body feeling now? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm getting better. I'm, I stayed with the team. Uh, I'm still. I'm still at the race. Actually, still, still with the team, and they're they're looking after me. I get. I get to go home today, and uh, obviously, with a, bang, with a bang on the head, you can't take. You can't be too careful, and. Uh, and yeah, but the, yeah, the, the skin loss wasn't really an issue. It was more the bang on the head that was the the problem. And I was a bit dizzy there for a couple of days. But uh, but yeah, now now it's definitely getting better. Yeah, a bit dizzy seems to be an understatement. It sounds like you, it was certainly the day after, and the the Saturday was a real struggle for you. Yeah, I had a, a fair bit of pain in my legs. I had a bit of a like a almost a trapped nerve because of the swelling in my in my legs. So uh, yeah, that was I didn't sleep for two days. So it's been a it's been a long couple of long recovery, but. Yeah, you forget the pain pretty quickly. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, I'm already looking forward to uh, to what's on the horizon and, and getting back on the bike and and going on to prepare for the World Championships. Obviously, what actually can you take us through, Dan? What actually happened in the with the crash? How, how it came about? What exactly happened there? Yeah, I was just moving up on the left and uh, I was out the saddle, sprinting up the side, and I was, I was following a guy in front of me, and then I uh, I hit either a rock or a hole. I don't really know. And next thing I knew, I was on the floor. And it was, uh, yeah, I lost my, my hands, came off the bars, and it was like I fell out of a tree. And obviously, normally you have a bit of time to prepare yourself to crash, but this time I just hit the hit the uh, hit the floor like a sack of spuds, you know. And it's yeah, it, it, it was a I definitely hit hard, and it was probably the most painful thing in my life. And uh, and yeah, I mean it's but, but yeah. It, I, I somehow managed to get to the finish. I don't really know how. And then once I got to the finish, all the adrenaline just wore off. And yeah, I basically crumbled into a, a, a pile on the floor and ended up going to hospital. It's, yeah, I, I, how you finished that, I don't know. And even the next morning, you were considering um, rejoining the race or continuing in the race. And really, it was the concussion that was the issue, as you were saying, more than the, the sort of more than the physical injuries or the injuries that we can see. A concussion, I guess, is a buzzword in a lot of sports these days. It's it's something that you have to be very mindful of. When did you realize that you actually had concussion and that you weren't going to be able to compete? Oh, we had our suspicions directly after the start, after the finish, and uh, but obviously you just need to 
there's no point making a decision the night before the race. So we wanted to wake up and see how I felt. And immediately in the morning, we knew we knew that I couldn't start. You know, if you, generally if you can't stand on one leg, you, you're not going to be able to ride a bike. And it's uh, I was I was actually having trouble standing up. So yeah, there was, there was never any question, and, and that made the decision easy. You know, because uh, if I didn't have the concussion, I would definitely I would probably have started and and suffered through suffered really badly for two days if the uh, obviously the other injuries I got. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's really disappointing to be out of the race, but but uh, and it's. Right, it's kind of disappointing too that we can't have two Irish riders go well in the same race. It seems to be we both have to we have to take turns now. Yeah, you're very happy with how Nicholas has gone so far. He's done well. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, it's it's yeah, so so just so happy to uh, just disappoint. Obviously, disappointed not to be not to be able to see it firsthand. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it. I mean, he's halfway through the race and he's he's on the podium in the in a Grand Tour, and it's. Uh, it's incredible to see to have a, like the first Irish rider in the leaders' jersey for ha- I don't know how many years, and it's um, yeah, it's, it's really great for him. It's great for the family, and and great for Irish cycling. Nicholas, are you disappointed not to have Dan out there pushing you on for the last ten days? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, with Dan, there's always uh, been you know that kind of um, normal rivalry because of uh, of our sport, but not one against the other, just because we're competing for the same spot, which is the first spot. <laughs> But uh, we always gave each other great support over the last few years. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first thing I, um, I got a message when I took the jersey was uh, Dan saying, uh, I feel sorry I would have liked reading with you in the red jersey. And, you know, these are the things kind of give you that extra, uh, you know, uh, gives you all that little goosebumps you get in the morning. You know, it's really nice. To, you know, and the same when Dan won the, won the tour, I was, uh, I was so happy for him. The best station the tour, I was so happy for him as well. I think you know we um, we we always give each other support, but you don't need to you know to talk five hours on the phone. Just a little text saying Dan, well done, Nico, well done, and you know that we've uh, thought of each other, and that gives it a little extra motivation as well. But, you know. Yeah, Dan, would you have any advice for Nicholas for the rest of the race? I've never been in his, I've never been in his situation, so it's hard to give any advice, you know. But I think you just got to say uh, yeah, just keep what you're doing. I mean this. This race is definitely about being psychologically strong at the end of a long, hard season, and and uh, yeah, Nicholas seems really fresh and, uh, and and motivated, and I think that's really going to come into the into play in the final week. I mean, it's uh, I've seen I'll definitely be uh, I'll give him a call in the last week. Cause I've seen the Andorra stages, and I know a bit firsthand what the ra- what the roads like. So yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll I'll definitely try and uh, try and help you, help you out a bit. Will you take that inside information? Anyway. Yeah, will you take that inside information, Nicholas? Definitely, you know. Uh, uh, I know Dan went to Andorra, and like he just said it now again, uh, he's seen some of these really tough pages, and um, you know it's such an advantage to to have the the right information. Um, you know when I won that stage today, I think if I hadn't had done the the record uh, two days before, maybe it would have been a completely different scenario, and that definitely helps me at that. So uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know Dan's won for Catalonia, Lies Bastogneres, and I don't know how many stages at this at this point. So obviously, getting uh, advice from him uh, is always welcome. Dan, just a, a last word on yourself and your crash, your accident. You were quite critical afterwards of the UCI, and I know a lot of the riders were not overly happy with the finish in in that stage into Seville. Is it something that you think needs to be looked at? I think the the actual these are going to be even more controversial now, you know. But it's the fact was the the UCI commissaire took offence that. At my remarks as well, and he came to see the team the day after the race, and he uh, his his argument he he never once uh, defended himself for 
the, the, what, the fact that I was saying that he didn't ensure the security, the safety of the riders. All he was worried about was defending the fact that we deserved to have a fine. And it wasn't, it wasn't really that I was saying. It was the fact that there were more, there seemed to be a lot more concentrated on, on fining riders than actually looking for the reason why we need to be fined. And that's, that, that circuit, I don't think we should have been racing on it. If it had rained, it would have been, a, I don't think anybody would have been able to finish. It would have been a complete disaster. So it's, uh, and at the same time, yeah, okay, we, like, the technicality that we can't ride behind a team car, yeah, it's, it's like an unwritten rule in cycling that you can do it after a mechanical or a crash. And the fact is, I never, I never touched the team car. I never, I, I didn't, all, all we did was ride behind it. And, I mean, it would, it would have been nice just to have a bit of sympathy as far as, yeah, I've hit the, hit the road hard. I've worked so hard to get into the position that I was to be riding into the general classification. And then they give me this 20-second penalty, and I think it was a 1,000 euros of fines. Just, just for, like, you don't need, and it wasn't just one fine, it was like five fines for the same offence. And it's, and it's kind of, it, it, it was just disappointing the fact that they didn't, like, as I said, there's no compassion shown at all. It was yeah. just a case of, yeah, we can, it's an opportunity to make some money, basically. And, and so you were saying that after all this happened and you'd raised the concerns, the UCI person spoke to you and spoke to your team, but they didn't defend the safety of it or anything like that. They just, Explained they just defended the fact that they were allowed to fine you. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Okay. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't talk to me. They talked to the team. They said, "Yeah, it's not correct that he put this comment on Twitter. It's uh, we it, you, we had a right to fine you. The TV camera was right behind you, and it saw that you were riding behind the TV camera. Blah blah blah. But he never once said we agreed the circuit was like that. Is the the, the, the job of the commissary is to ensure the safety of the race as well. Yeah. And uh, this is to be a, uh, a law enforcer, but also to to yeah, enforce enforce rules that make the race safe, and I don't think I don't believe that anybody actually drove that circuit before the before they actually raced on it. You know, it's uh, it was it was pretty crazy. Okay, well, listen, guys, we will leave it there. That um, seems like a bit of a concern, really, that that those kind of things are going on. But Dan, thanks very much for talking to us, and Nick, best of luck over the next couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, good luck, Nick. Great to have the two lads on together there. Nicholas, very much still in racing mode. No matter how hard I tried at the start, you know, just mm. chill out, Nicholas. You're on a you're on a it's day off. A you're on a day, day off. And he's, you know? he's a, I'm I'm on edge. Essentially, yeah. is what he, he was saying of, there. He, he did sound as if he yeah. was very much in the zone. That's probably good. Much. He sounded like how Potter Carrington looks when he's on the verge of winning a major. Yeah, or used to look. If if Potter Carrington was doing again. interviews on down the 18th when he was ignoring <laughs> Sergio Garcia that time. That's probably how he would have sounded. What a lack of compassion by the UCI representative there, by the way. Going yeah. into meeting up with Dan Martin's team and saying, this is why we're fining you all these fines because of these little breaches during the race. Not, not so much about the lack of safety, which... How's your head, Dan? Crash. Yeah, how's the concussion? How's Dan's concussion? Is he okay? Yeah, pretty, not pretty right. strange, all right, you know. Coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Second captain's football, Ken. It's a busy week. Yeah, it's a very good episode of Transfer Deadline Day. I thought one of the best ones in years. Mm. Yeah, well, well worded there as well because it was, it was television basically. It was very good television. Yeah, uh, uh, I, d- I did think it. You could see the form is becoming degenerate now. Um, 
the the fans behind the the cameras. Yeah. You know, there's no that that only works when they're there, sort of annoying the 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 guy. You know, the reporter. Yeah. But the point is that you know the Sky have now obviously taken a conscious decision at the corporate level to encourage the fans now to to engage in zany antics. So you had uh, some pretty sad scenes uh, last night, particularly at Southampton. Um, you know, you had a sort of what looked like an eight-year-old boy kind of dancing over the shoulder of the of the reporter for, you know, during his entire report. No, but there's some seriously good this, ambush marketing going on. Did you see that? I didn't see the ambush marketing. I can't remember which ground was outside, but this uh, truck was driving by with this massive sort of billboard ad behind it for... It was bin removal or something like this. I literally parked it directly behind the. Then moved it slightly. It was obviously I was obviously on the phone to somebody who was watching camera, telling him just no move, you know, reverse a little bit, back up. Yeah. Well, look, you know, um, it was. It's obviously become this. But in fairness, there were there were actually some big events yesterday uh, happening and and a lot of confusion. And Manchester United, for once, are the club that ends up uh, kind of (laughs) embarrassing themselves. I mean, there, there was. Uh, okay, they end they end up getting Marwan Fellaini, which is uh, uh, you know I think potentially a good signing at least. But they seem to be trying to get so many people uh, at such short notice, and ultimately only F- uh, Fellaini arrived. That the impression was of disorganisation and dare I say it, incompetence. Um, you know, it's we're go- we're going to be talking a lot about that later on. Also, Ozil obviously just signing a huge signing for Arsenal. Um, a little puzzling, in my opinion, Real Madrid would let a player that good go. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. And obviously Ireland at the moment training the Sweden game on Friday, so we'll hear what's happening there. A couple of the Ireland players had to leave. I mean, Shane Long had to leave the camp yeah. to go and talk to Hull about a transfer that never happened. So um, some strange things going on, but uh, interesting stuff to talk about. Sounds good. That'll be out at 6 o'clock tonight. That's Tuesday evening. Murph, Matt O'Connor will be on very shortly to talk about how he's settling into his job at Leinster with the season starting this Friday. The general feeling is a difficult job to take over. Yeah, and uh, I think you see this in sport all the time that, you know, you don't want to be David Moyes taking over from Alex Ferguson. Maybe that's an extreme uh, example, but taking over from someone who's been massively successful when you yourself don't have a huge pedigree of being a head coach at a, at a, a massively successful team that's a big pressure situation and this pressure oftentimes comes from fans who are looking for you know a big name a huge name appointment or whatever but I think Leinster rugby is a slightly different thing in that they've consistently gone for guys that wouldn't immediately trip off the tongue for rugby fans I mean if you think of Michael Cheke was a calculated gamble that paid off in a huge huge way Joe Schmidt obviously his reputation was huge with Claremont Auvergne but not as a head coach Uh, so I think that uh, Matt O'Connor's relative inexperience as a head coach might have been held against him at some clubs but not at Leinster. Uh, yeah, it should be stressed. He was head coach at, at Leicester for the last couple of seasons, but there was a director of rugby director above, him, above so him. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's there on his own now, as opposed to having been. I think it's also complicated, frankly, by how successful Leinster Leicester have been. Yeah. You no, know, there's been this, you know, kind of a golden age. They win three out of the last five European Cups. <laughs> it's it's you, you don't get teams that are more successful than that very often, but it's also been. I think quite a settled team for a lot of that period. A lot of these guys have been there for all those, for all three, nearly. This is a team that has some pretty clear ideas, I guess, about the way it likes to do things. And 
maybe the question usually it's you know how the coaches will how the players will adapt to the new coach but it might be the other way around in this case well we'll ask the man himself that now Matt O'Connor joins us Matt can I ask you <laughs> the season starts on Friday you're away to Clenethley are you ready for that or would you like a couple more weeks just to get things fine tuned in an ideal world Oh, you'd always like a couple more weeks, but the reality is that the first comp game is the first comp game. It doesn't matter if you have a, have a couple more weeks. It's, it's the same anxiety for the players and, and coaches and supporters alike. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that we're ready and good to go. Are there certain aspects that can only really be ironed out by playing matches? Is it you can train away and train away, but you actually need to, you need your players to make some mistakes, to do some things in the wrong way and then you can actually show them that on video and learn that way. Oh, 100%. I mean the the game is the is the is the greatest feedback and you know we've had some really good um, lessons learnt from the the two friendlies against Ulster and Northampton and the, the review sessions that we've done on the Monday have been invaluable for everybody. How have you fa- I know the general perception is that the style the Leicester style of rugby and philosophy that you've come from over the last few years it's perceived as it's quite different from what there is in Leinster. Is that a correct perception? Uh, no, not really. I mean, my time at Leicester, we scored the most tries in the competition by a streak. We've, you know, we've certainly done everything we can to challenge the the opposition defensively, and you know, most of the time, I think we've achieved that. I mean, at, at Leicester, we spent a hell of a lot of time on on making the guys better and trying to capitalise on the individual skill sets that we had, and and trying to play rugby. And um, you know, that was that wasn't always the case. Some of that was because of of um, you know international absentees or injury or or weather conditions, but um, you know I I wouldn't imagine that the Leinster philosophy will be moving too far from what it's been under Joe and and Michael. Have you had a chance to really? Is a couple of months enough time to really get on top of what Leinster rugby is all about? Because I guess you have to be involved in it really to understand what makes the players tick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's it, it. There is a certain amount of time that goes with that process, but um, by and large, the place is very, very healthy. You can't have the success that the um, that the province has had over the last short period without quality players, without quality people, without quality staff. And you know, from that end, um, there's not that much to to change because the place is is in a in a really good place. So um, it hasn't been an overly um, daunting or or massive task in relation to some of the things we've tried to adjust to make the improvements that we need to make going off the back of last year. Now, you know, the team did incredibly well last year at every level, but at the same time, there's there's things that we've got to get better at because if you don't get better, you get left behind. Can you tell us those things? No. <laughs> Dave. you, but I can't tell the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. We might have a chat afterwards. Who knows? Exactly, exactly. But Matt, you are doing a bit of a David Moyes on this, I guess. You're taking over from a very successful coach. and You'll probably be fed up hearing about Joe Schmidt as after a while. But that, I guess that also, that's a challenge, but it also means that you're taking over a successful group of players, as you say there, who know what it is to win. And to a certain extent, I guess those guys can coach themselves or at least put pressure on themselves to perform. Oh, 100%. I mean, you, you would much prefer this situation than, um, than Pat Lamb's situation. It's, 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 it's very, very different. And, and, you know, guys that understand what is required at the very top end to win, um, is invaluable. And, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's, there's a couple of things that the players are, are keen to adjust as were the, 
as were the um, backroom staff, um, and you know, and and to keep us at the very very top end, that's that's the challenge. Um, and and we'll be judged by our results, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Brian O'Driscoll's last season, and maybe others as well. There's certainly others uh, towards the end of their career. In your own head, you say you're going to be judging results. Can you give yourself a year to get younger players up to speed, or do you have to? Do you put pressure on yourself to get results straight away? I mean, the the expectation that has gone with this culture of success over the last over the last short period means that everybody understands that expectation and and you know it means that as coaches we need to hit those expectations the players understand what their expectation are and what the you know what the expectation of the broader community is and you know i think that that drives the place to be better day on day which is which is a perfect scenario and um, you know it's not something that you shy away from or 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 get um, pressurized by it's something that you you know everybody needs to be living up to the whole time which i think i think provides the the fuel for the place the national team also needs to ultimately replace some of those players we talk about there and possibly other positions as well. Has there been much uh, said to you about that? Is that seen as part of your brief to develop guys who play for the national team in key positions? Oh, I mean, it's it's always under there, isn't it? It's it's about you know at Leinster we need guys that are test standard. If we if we aren't pro- producing guys that are good enough to play test rugby the reality is at Heineken Cup and and um, Pro 12 level we're not going to be good enough so um, it's not really a different mantra to the national team I mean there certainly has been an improved um, communication pathway between the national body and Leinster um, since Joe's been in there and in you know hopefully that continues for the good of all. Have you been leaning on the, uh, O'Driscoll and the senior players? I know some of those guys haven't been back yet, really, or certainly not for, for a considerable period of time anyway. But in terms of getting your head around what is required at Leinster, is that something you believe in? Or are you the kind of coach who kind of thinks, listen, I'm the boss here and I'll, I'll work it out as I go along? Uh, you, you, can't, you can't not um, involve those guys in the process. You know, incredibly experienced talented group of guys who know what it takes to win now you'd be a fool not to involve those guys in the process and you know even though some of them haven't been as visible as as we would have liked since the Lions tour but you know quality guys quality footballers and you know they they know about as much about it as we do so um, you know there's been a lot of a lot of communication in in the way we're going to approach it and, and how we're going to try and you know achieve those those things we want to achieve you're excited very all right matt o'connor we'll leave it there great stuff thank you thanks so much new lencer head coach matt o'connor not giving himself the easy out of a transitional season or anything like that it should be remembered also that let's not get too panicky about what happens in the first few weeks of the season joe schmidt lost five of his first six games i think and i do remember there was pressure and the questions were being put to him do you feel this pressure on you i don't know what that means does that mean he's going to be sacked after eight games if he loses Seven out of eight. Was that the idea in asking Joe Schmidt yeah. those questions? I do. I, I, I think Schmidt remembers those early days as well. Yeah. It's no harm a coach having that in his head that, look, I know what it's like when people are kind of having yeah. lives out. I, as well. I, yeah, I don't think that it was going to be, he was going to get the sack, but I think it was, you know, Leinster are in for a long year kind of thing, mm. more so than Joe Schmidt actually getting the sack. But yeah, it does seem a little ridiculous now looking back. So again, you know, it's it's just more grist to the mill from well, it's it's just more convenient stuff for Matt, Conner, Matt O'Connor to just say, well, you know, just remember what the other guy did. It's been a hell of a show, I think. 
I think I've enjoyed it. Yeah, Ken. Oh, I've, I've really enjoyed <laughs> it's good to watching hear. you guys work. Uh, thanks for being involved in the work, Ken. Yeah, thanks, very much. thanks, Murph. Uh, thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kira. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.